We're getting into summer, which historically is when gun violence picks up in our city. Last summer, Portland launched a pilot intervention program called Safe Summer PDX, which funded five community-based organizations. And Love is Stronger was among them. Led by Lionel Irving, the organization had over 600 successful interventions throughout summer into fall. By all accounts, the citywide program was a success, and its impact continues to be felt. Portland Police Bureau data shows the number of deadly shootings dropped by 56% in March of 2023 compared to last year. But its success has justified less investment by the city because they're like, cool, we did it, problem solved. So now Lionel is worried that his organization and others, which have smaller contracts this year, won't be as effective this coming summer. Today on CityCast Portland, Lionel is here to explain why gun violence isn't a one and done issue and why if we want to see safer streets, organizations like his need continual investment from our city and our community. It's Tuesday, May 30th. I'm Claudia Meza, and this is what Portland's talking about. Lionel, thank you so much for taking the time to come and talk with us. Yeah, my pleasure. You know, I love some of the work you guys have been doing. I, I, I watched some of you guys' previous podcasts. I, you had some great conversations. So I really feel honored, you know, to be a guest on you guys' uh, show. Oh, thanks, Lionel. You know, you have so much experience preventing gun violence in this city. What do you think people tend to get wrong when they talk about gun violence in Portland specifically? I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that all the gun violence is majority gang violence. And it's really getting clumped into one, you know, category when, you know, really 40 percent of gun violence is from the homeless camp. And, you know, 60 percent of the drug trade is happening through the homeless camp. And so I think a lot of the the crime is kind of pinpoint on the gang members, but um, not to say that they're not responsible for a lot of the crime and, and the gun violence, it's just that they're solely responsible for it, I think is the misconception. Yeah. Um, the gun violence I'm afraid of is probably the one that's least going to happen, which is someone just coming in a random spot and just shooting it up, you know, just to hear that it's more of a, a situation that's being exacerbated by our houseless situation. I mean, your organization had over 600 interventions last summer. What are your people in the organization doing? Like, how are they preventing this kind of gun violence then? So we're solely focused on gang violence, right? Because Mm -hmm. all of my guys are gang veterans. And what makes us so unique in our uh, conflict resolution strategies is that we're on the spot. So we're not a reactionary program. We're a proactive program. So we employ guys who are influential in their respective neighborhoods. And we employ them to de-escalate, redirect, interrupt gun violence. They are the guys that these young kids are looking up to. They are the guys these guys are calling for advice. Right. So these are the guys that we need to have underneath our banner so we can give them the advice that they need to give their friends. Right. So is it important to build relationships with between the police and the community? Because I remember they had that gang unit that was really, really controversial. Um, And so a lot of people have had pretty negative experiences with the Portland police uh, specifically trying to mitigate gang gun violence. What are you seeing right now? Well, I'm a generational gang member. So Mm -hmm. I deal with the gang task force back in the 90s when it was really, you know, a predatory task force where they were, there was no problem where they would hit you with billy clubs and getting pulled over too much was never a question like it is nowadays. And so I'm on the FITCOG, which is the Focus Intervention Task Force uh, Oversight Committee. 
mm-hmm. which is that cog, the folks individual team is focused solely on gun violence on all forms. If it's gang violence, homeless gun violence, out, uh, uh, road rage, you know, terrorist shooting, whatever it is, this is their job. And I'm on that task force so the community doesn't have to feel like it did in the 90s, right. in the early 2000s, where they were getting over police. Because no longer is it acceptable for the police to throw out a dragnet and just arrest as many people as possible. That's not the solution. Right. We want the police to be intentional. If they're bad guys that you know who are bad guys, then why are you getting other guys? Let's go get that guy. Mm-hmm. If he's a criminal, we might not be able to get him for shooting, but you might be able to get him for selling drugs, pimping girls. Right. Uh, it's a host of two uh, uh, laws I'm pretty sure he's breaking. So why throw a dragnet and get a whole bunch of kids who are traumatized that got guns now and arrest them and say you saw them gun violence? When we know even the gang violence is only driven by about 15 kids and young adults. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Like, what changes do you think need to happen in order for uh the work that you're doing to like fully coalesce with the Portland police, the the direction that they're going. Yeah, so we're in there. We're we're doing that work right now. Just, just for a guy like me on the FitCog, yeah, right, having confidential clearance, being able to give the police advice on how to serve our community because the police is a service unit. So we want them to serve our be in our community in a service mindset. That's right. So I could be in the room. When we know if the police have an issue with, a, with another police officer, their culture is to handle it on the lowest level. And then if it's if it's going to push itself up, if it's too big, we want you to serve the community the same way. You handle it on the lowest level. And then if it's too big, it's going to push itself up. That's what creates a service mindset, creates an ally mindset. And so we were doing a lot of great work with the FitCog in building credibility and relationships back with the community. And one of their main tools that they're using is when I used to be a kid selling the corners and the police used to park on the corner for whatever, they probably, maybe they there for selling drugs, it's drug dealing, I'm there just hanging out. And they would be policing me in that moment because I didn't know why they were there. Right. Now we got the big cog going up there saying, hey, to the guys occupying the streets, hey, how y'all doing? Hey, we over here because there's a lot of gunfire and we over here to protect y'all too. They've been talking to guys who got drugs in their pocket, they might got a gun on them. But they're not over there just to jump out and start patting guys down. They're over there because the area is hot, and we know when the police show up, the bad guys is going to leave. So police, please go park over there so the notorious guys can get up out of here. And then it builds a relationship when the police pull up and tell guys why they're there. That's how you begin to trust back into the community, because now their police in our community are serving our community the same way they're serving their community. Because they're going to go talk to their neighbors. Yeah, yeah. So it's curious. So you're basically saying that a way that the police should uh, is trying to uh, build this trust is by not arresting like lower level crimes and kind of focusing on the higher, uh, more violent crimes. Focus on the head. On the on the head. Yeah. Interesting. Because I mean, when I hear that, of course, I'm just like, yeah, well, drug dealers should be arrested. And uh, you know what I mean? Like, you know, that comes up and you're just like, no, because that that is not going to be solving the gun violence. Is that what I'm hearing? No, it's exacerbating the problem. That's so interesting. Why are we going to keep arresting minor drug dealers who guys were going to probably transition out to lifestyle and, and flooding our prison systems up and de- 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 destroying our taxpayers' money while the guys who are influencing the guys are still running the streets? And we know who they are. Mm-hmm. The police know who these guys are. You know who is telling guy, kids to go shoot. You know who is running the drug rings. Because then we don't have a whole bunch of over mass incarceration. Because right now, you could go pull over any young black man in Portland, and most likely you're going to find a gun. 
because they all scared. Mm -hmm. I got nephews right now, 12 and 13. I took three guns off of my 13-year-old nephew already in the last four months. What are they scared of? There's too many gunshots. All their friends are dying. The last two years, you know how many young great men and kids have died? So they just want to make it home. They're telling me, my nephew say, Uncle, I ain't going to shoot nobody. I just want to make sure I make it home. I'm on defense. And I tell my nephew, it ain't no right way to have a gun illegally, mm-hmm. right? You go through the proper channels and when you're old enough that you can get the proper uh, uh, p- permits to have a, a weapon. There's other ways to handle your business. But he said, everybody got a gun, huh? Because they do. And where do you think these guns is coming from? How all our kids got guns all of a sudden? It's an influx of guns. When it was no bullets, a bullet shortage, all our kids have bullets. Hmm. That don't even make no sense to me. What, what's your theory? Where do you think Where do you think the guns are coming from? Well, it's a way bigger problem than than these guys. These guys got these guys ain't no mechanics. They got got guns, modified uh, AK forty sevens, and they don't got no whole bunch of money. So it's a bigger problem. That's why we got to go up the chain and get the bigger fish. Who really capitalizes off these kids killing themselves? Hmm. Because you know you know how much it costs for a murder in Portland when when the body hit the ground. How much? As soon as the body dropped. It's $1.5 million. That's just on the ground. And now it could be upwards of $10 million for each body, minimum of $5 Because then you got to think about what if they catch the guy and send him to prison and all these other things, all these other attributes with the family. It costs the city up to $5 to $10 million per murder. That's insane. So it's a lot of money involved. Mm-hmm. And it, then, then we got to look at how much money is, is put into preventing gun violence. It's not even close compared to how much it's costing the community. It's not even a tenth. So there's a bigger problem with there's a bigger problem with the with investing in gun violence prevention, not just with the city and the county, but also community members. Right. So how many community members? Oh, go my bad. Because I go. No, no, it's okay. No, no, because I'm going to ask them. So the police is one part of sol- solving gun violence, and the other part is the community. So what does the community need to do different? You know what? What's the? I mean, aside from your organizations like yourself. Well, everybody has a role to play, right? But the community is lacking their responsibility is these are our kids, for one. Mm-hmm. I know my nephew is walking around here trying to get a gun, got a gun. That's community knowledge. Because every time I see somebody, hey, man, if you see my nephew, he's trying to get a gun. He might got a gun. Call me. Make sure he don't get in no problems. So I'm communicating. So everybody, they see my nephew. They say, hey, man, your nephew at the game. Is he cool? Let me write up there. There's too many community members not saying, hey, my kid is struggling. My kid has a weapon. I don't know what to do. Lionel, come over here and talk to him. Because we might not be able to stop the kids from having guns, but we can influence the way they are operating with them. Because if you got a gun, then we need to educate you. If you're not, if we can't stop you from getting it, at least let's educate you on the ramifications of when you're pulling this thing out and using it. Versus you had to learn in prison. See, I can learn the hard way. Mm-hmm. Nobody told me. I just, I shot guns since I was 12 years old. And, and right. it was always love when I went back to my neighborhood. But where's the people who wasn't involved in that lifestyle saying, no, Lionel, that's just stupid. Mm-hmm. You're going to go to jail for the rest of your life. You can do this. You can do that. And so that the community is advocating from that part. Also, resourcing the families who our kids are dying because it's sitting a, it's setting a trauma wave through that family. They got 10, 11 year olds, six and seven year olds, two and three year olds that all everybody's not going to receive services in that family because there's not enough services to go around because the community's not involved. Now, these six and seven year olds and two and three year olds are potential shooters. Because we only had enough resources to work on the 11 and 10-year-olds, right? Right. And so the community, and, then I'll, and I'll give you a visual. Next time it's a gun violence and somebody's died on the ground, they say it's dead over here, go over there and see what it looked like. You're going to see a traffic jam of community members 
stopping to see what it, who's on the ground. None of them are going to stop and give that family that got the potential shooters in their mix any type of love or resources. And the only time they're going to jump in and do some of that is when it happened to one of their family members. And I can tell you because I'm on the ground floor and I done been to 50 funerals in the last two years. Dang. I done talked to hundreds of families whose kids was murdered and that, that could have done something before the fact. Right. Well, let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, let's talk about some of the ways Love is Stronger is working with youth to prevent gun violence. I want to know about your program specifically, like how is it working with this community um, that has, because it's not like every kid in Portland has a gun. A lot of kids got guns. Like a lot all, of kids, really? a lot of kids got guns. Yeah. And a lot of kids are seeking guns because one, that's the American way, right? We glorify them. It's a, it's a symbol of power. A lot of kids are traumatized. And where we are coming from, this is a, this is a post COVID symptom. Our kids are mm-hmm. premature emotionally. They're premature socially. They don't have the tools to handle their simple conflicts. And so that it, 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 it makes the conflict times 10. So when you say that your your organization is educating, are you going to actual schools? Like, tell me a little bit more about like how you're working with uh, with the youths. So we have a, a youth component of our of our conflicts resolution team. They're called the Soldiers of Love, and they do the exact same thing that our gang veterans do. Mm-hmm. They're on the spot de-escalators. So if they're in school, if they're at the games, they're going to go into a, a conflict situation and give these people a, a brief reprieve to think. Then once a month, we have high school safe place parties where we disseminate our active bystander message. We disseminate our message of positive peer pressure because mm-hmm. often you hear about negative peer pressure, right? Right. But the flip point, which is even the stronger side, is positive peer pressure. And we are pressing our kids, the high school ranks especially, to be leaders and to speak up when their friends are in trouble. Because our message is, if you really love this guy and you on your path, you got to leave him behind or you got to join him back there unless you speak up and let us bring him up to your level mm-hmm. because we want everybody to succeed. And then we pay our kids and because we come from our culture here in America comes from an instant gratification kind of mindset. It's my money. I want it now. Right. And, and a reactionary mindset. So one thing that we do is we pay our kids, right? We want to feed that instant gratification. So we want to make sure you get paid good, but we want to feed that to defeat it. We want to say, Hey, this is your reward. For this, boom, now you're in the door. Now this is how you get to the next reward. Yeah. You got to work to build your way up. And there's a reward every step. It's not, though, you get here and it's just a kumbaya. No, you get here, here you go another monetary incentive to get to the next level. And then we have a reactionary mindset where if somebody hits you, you hit them back. Mm-hmm. Retaliation is a must. It creates a mindset of reacting. And once you do that, do that, then you become traumatized. Now you become a professional poor decision maker because you're reacting out of trauma. Mm-hmm. So we that, that's where we come with the three second pause. That's why we intervene when people we see conflict. We intervene so the guys that are our guards are in conflict are not reacting. We want to give them a chance to think. They get out of dodge. They don't sit there and hold nobody. Y'all don't fight. Please don't do it. No, they just intervene. Whatever the tool is. Hey, we at school. Kill that noise. Leave them alone. Whatever the tool is. Mm-hmm. But it's just that brief reprieve so the guys can think and they get out. And you know how successful that is. Because these kids ain't even thinking. They need they need to identify that you got to be proactive. You got to think. And there's so many tools to build that mindset. And so we have 10 kids in our program right now. And they're doing great. They, they are creating so much 
ripple in, 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 in waves mm-hmm. of positive influence through their friends because they get to throw these parties. But just imagine if we have 50 kids. Then we could really impact this gun violence because now we got kids that are not only just in school or just on the streets. We got a mixture of them. Mm-hmm. And I would say what I make our kids more unique than a lot of different kids is we only uh, accept kids who are generational gang descendants. Oh, that's interesting. Because gangbang is a generational curse. Mm-hmm. So, man, you just laid a lot down on me, Lionel. <laughs> but you know, I mean, because I mean, you, it's fighting so much. You're fighting not only generational trauma, um, you know, and it's it's like not grabbing out of air to say that African-American communities have like a bit more trauma to deal with than more than other communities, especially here in America. Um, and then you're a teenage boy. It's just so much. Uh, so we're approaching another summer and we tend to see violence increase in the city with the weather, it seems. What's giving you hope? Like what's what's your mindset coming to a, you know, a more violent uh, season? The, one of the major that's giving me hope, Claudia, really is a person somebody like you. Right. Because you are becoming aware of the situation. You have no magnifying glass on it. That's what we want. The more community members that we have that are aware, that are pressing the our, our city members to do the right thing. Right. To invest in programs like mine. So we can have 50 kids. Right. So we can have 50 gang veterans. Why? Right? We only got five or six gang veterans and they got six, seven hundred interventions. You know how much money that saved the city? Yeah. Five million to ten million dollars per body. How much money do we save the taxpayers? Yeah. But they don't want to. You know, guys like me are not easy to get behind because of the history that I have, the language that I speak, the type of program that I run, because I'm directly involved in the gang culture. I'm a gang veteran. You know, I've been on both sides of the gun. I've done everything a gang member could aspire to do. So it makes the politicians apprehensive to get on board with this kind of program. Yeah. And then the community members, you know, everybody want to be the one to do it. It ain't about being the one to do it. It's about let's get it done together. Right. And that's, that's what the community problem is. Cause I've only been free for about four years. So, so, you know, I'm still reacclimating back into the community. I'm coming to my fifth year now. Well, I know that's congratulations. Seriously, that's amazing. The fact that you just you hit the floor, not just running, but like spreading so much love, man. Like you're making me a little teary eyed over here. Like that's seriously, that's something to be proud of, man. That's amazing. The city has seen a dip in violence this year. Do you find that reassuring? Do you think that maybe your community has a, a bit to play in that at all? Or what are you thinking? Well, that was a direct result of the work that we did with Safer Summer PDX. Mm-hmm. You know, the city finally invested in us to do the work. And then we had the results after the work was over. It would have been nice to see a, another strong reinvestment. But I felt like a lot of people thought that was a championship when I knew it was just a kickoff. It really was just a coin toss, for real. We ain't even gotten to the strategy yet. And so we need that kind of investment where we can do the work. We scaled up to 11 people. Then when it was over, we had to scale back down to four. And so we need that same 11 guys because those guys are gang veterans. Just imagine, though, we need those guys in the fold. We don't need them out of the fold. So this summer, I'm encouraged because there's a lot of people who have their attention on gun violence. And especially in the calling it gang violence, that's what we want to call it. A lot of people got their eyes on it and want to see results. I know that we're on the forefront of, of gun violence in Portland. I don't care what the organization is. No organization has done more gun violence prevention work than us. And that's the only subject we've ever been on. See, it's a lot of subject hoppers. We've never had another topic right. but gang violence since, I, since the inception of my program. And so I'm excited that we got a lot of more people that are coming on. We got a lot of more organizations who are doing some of the same tactics that I got or employing 
so that it's working. And we share information. We invite any organization that want to get involved in gun violence. We share every tactic in the way that we do it because there's enough for it, work for everybody. We need to save these kids. And this, uh, this is another misconception that I, I want to make sure that everybody knows. We're not at war with the guys and girls out here shooting people. We're trying to save these kids, mm-hmm. right? I was once one of these kids, but I shot and killed somebody. I did it. I waited. I pulled the trigger. And everybody wanted me to be thrown away, which was rightfully so. You know, I got a second chance. I don't take it for granted. But when I see guys and I, I know what they're doing, I see the potential in them. And we do more assist than gun violence. We also do inter-community gathering where we get guys who look like me, who got lifestyle like I had, mm-hmm. that got life together, and people who don't look like us. Our main participators are the Rotarians. Are you familiar with them? No, oh, tell me about it. The Rotary Club? Oh, the Rotary Group. Yeah, uh, yes, yes, I'm, I'm familiar with the Rotary Club, yeah. Come on, man. Everybody know the Rotary. They're the big dogs, right? If you go anywhere in America <laughs> or anywhere in the world, somebody tell you they're in the Rotary, they're going to be one of the richest, most influential people in that area, right? There's just no question about it. And so we got a group of great family we call the Inner Community Gathering. We meet once a month with my guys and a lot of great Rotarians. We got up to 60 people now coming. And it's all about what do we got in common versus versus what we don't got in common. Because we tired of hearing that you black and you white and y'all got to be separated. No, we're trying to see what size your heart is. We, we always say we will the big heart and we the big heart committee. So that's all we want to get is with people. We don't care what skin cone you is, what age you is, what your culture is. We in a safe space where we got older white dudes who can ask the questions and the person ain't going to say, oh, you racist in this though. They're going to give you understanding. And we got younger black kids and younger black. They call me younger. I'm 40, but I, I guess that's how old they is. Let's say I'm younger, right? <laughs> so younger younger dudes like myself, and they, I can, you know, get a post of the culture. And the benefits to our intercommunity gathering is, it has been so amazing as far as the friendships and the business knowledge that has been flowed between groups and just the, the power that we have together. That's why they want to separate it. And now we're getting our kids together. We're creating a youth intercommunity gathering where we're getting three uh, uh, demographics and geographics. We're getting mm-hmm. the Urban Portland, Lake Oswego. We're getting urban Portland, North and Northeast and East Portland. And we're getting rural Oregon and Corbett. And we're going to get all those kids together. Our target is third graders. And our premise is we want to build their friendships now. So they don't want to be like us and meet in corporate America at 40 and say, man, we could have been great friends at 20 or, or 15 mm-hmm. and great allies. So we got a lot of different things. We're on a lot of different levels of community building. If you see our my logo, this is how we envision the community. He's wearing something that says love is stronger, by the way. And it's a fist and every finger is a different color, like a different skin color. It's pretty awesome. Yes. Well, Lionel, thank you so much for the work that you do. And I mean... If there's any way we could support you, just let, you know, let me know. And if anyone listening now wants to, like, just know how they can support you, like, where should they go? Yeah, man. Uh, look us up on our website, loveisstrongergv.org. And um, we're still in construction, but it got it got all the right components to get you ready to go, the right information. Uh, please tap in with me anytime on our, on our Facebook, Love is Stronger Inc. Our Instagram is bullet underscore free underscore weekend, bullet free weekend. And we dig any community resources. And I want to say this before we go. When people hear resources, first thing they think about is money. But 
that's only a tenth of the battle. Resources mean so many different things. You might have a space we can use. You might be able to give kids rides. You might be able to be a mentor. You might be able to give uh, apprenticeships, uh, interns, letters of recommendation. The list is so long of the things that you can do to help reduce gun violence. We need you. Well, thank you, Lionel. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. I appreciate you. And now for your microdose of news. A black bear was spotted six times in eight days in and around Forest Park. It's been caught raiding trash cans and generally looking for food, both for the safety of people and the bear. Wildlife experts advise the park's neighbors to lock up their trash and anything else that could be eaten, such as bird feeders and beehives. Wildlife experts also say that bears that get too dependent on human food are less afraid of people and pose more of a danger. Back in 2019, Oregon wildlife officials had to kill a black bear cub after it became too friendly with humans who were feeding and taking pictures with it. And Portland is only a few months away from a historic political makeover. By September, We're going to have a new political map that divides the city into four districts, setting the stage for the 2024 election, where voters will select city council members to represent each district. The commission charged with drawing these new districts will vote on a proposed map on May 31st and then hold meetings through July, approving a final map by the end of August. And it's more complicated than you think because all districts, of course, must have around the same number of people. For even more local news and events, sign up for our daily newsletter, Hey Portland. We'll throw a link in the show notes. That's all for today here on CityCast Portland. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slim's.